welcome tonight. I would like to ask us to start by singing number 656 in our songbooks. Number 656. And then I think I'll ask our deacon Ken if he would pray. 656. Send the light. Of course, the subject tonight is to put to practice the salvation, security, and assurance that we already have. Putting that to practical use for the lives of others. Send the light is number five, six, fifty-six, sorry, six fifty-six. shine forevermore. We have heard the Macedonian call today. Send the light, send the light. And a golden offering at the cross we lay. Send the light, send the light. Send the light, the blessed gospel. shine forevermore. Let us pray that grace may everywhere abound. Send the light, send the light, and a Christ-like spirit everywhere be found. Send the light, send the light, send the light, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine from shore to shore. Send the light, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine forevermore. Let's uh, sing another song, number five, 652. And along our theme, 652. <clears throat> I should have left mine open because I'm... Slow at turning tonight. Here we go. 652 is Take the Name of Jesus with You. Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven, precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven, take the name of Jesus and 
shield from every snare. If temptations round you gather, breathe that holy name in prayer. Precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven. Precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of Jesus bowing, falling, prostrate at his feet. King of kings, him when our journey is complete. Precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of joy of ham. All right, thank you, Pastor. That we have on our track rack at our church, at the top of the rack, freely you have received, freely give. <laughs> uh, that is uh, our mission, isn't it? I have enjoyed uh, this week with you and these uh, four days, and I know that's not over, but uh, we have a few days of fellowship to go. Uh, I appreciate uh, the meals I've been able to share with all of you, not only today, but uh, uh, Saturday and Friday. As as my friend Ernie Schmidt says, I'm a full gospel preacher. So, so uh, I've been filled, and I appreciate it very much. Turn to Matthew chapter 28 tonight as we start, and we'll start there. We kind of end up our series on salvation, security, assurance with evangelism, and that is uh, what we've been singing about tonight, and that is what God has called us to do. And I'm going to go back to that very familiar passage, which is Matthew 28, we call the Great Commission. And we'll just kind of go through it word by word here a little bit tonight. Let's read it together from verse 16, chapter 28. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. If you look at the word evangelism, you'll see the word angel in the middle of that word, if you look at it. And before that word angel, you have two letters, E and U. And usually when we put the word, those prefixes, E-U, we mean something good. It literally says good angel. If uh, we say eulogy, we are saying good words. So when we say a eulogy about someone, we're saying good words. 
over the years, going from one language to another, the EUs become EVs. It's just kind of the way language happens. So our evangelism is actually euangelion. In Greek, you have the word angel with the, word, with the prefix good in front of it. Well, angel means messenger. You know, in, in uh, Revelation 3, when Jesus is uh, uh, talking to the churches, he says to the angel of the church at Ephesus and so forth, I've, you know, that means pastor, of course. I've been trying to get my people to call me angel, but it never works. <laughs> but uh, b- because angel means messenger and the pastor was the messenger of the, uh, of the church. So to say message... And good, good message means good news. And, and that's what we have said about our evangelism and the gospel and the rest. It, it sounds like in that language, uangelion. That's the way they say it, uangelion. You have the word gospel 104 times in the New Testament, the word gospel. And every time you see that word gospel, it's from this word evangel. Uangelion. And so to evangelize is to give out the good news. It's to give the good message. And that is, of course, what we do. And what is that message? We have already learned this week. It's the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we go to for our definition. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the truth that saves somebody. You do have to believe that. You can't just deny uh, either who Jesus is, that he was the son of God in the flesh, or deny that he rose from the dead. So why do we evangelize? Why do, why do we do it? When we read a passage like this at the end of each gospel, there's a, a message like this worded somehow at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, number one, because Jesus told us to. And I think that's what that song said, right? <laughs> to do what, what Jesus told us to do. So we have a command. Why did you get saved? Why did you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's what the Bible said to do. Or to be baptized or many other things in your life. Because that's what the Bible said to do. A second reason is, of course, because there is a hell there is a life after death. And if you want to go to heaven, you have to be saved. Otherwise, there is a hell, and most people in this world are going there. Most people are headed for an eternal, eternal hell. I don't like the thought of hell. I don't know if you do or not. I, I don't like it. I wouldn't like it for the worst person who ever lived. I can't imagine an eternal hell. But I can't deny it either. It is what the Bible teaches. And since there is one, and the only way a person can avoid going to that place is to hear the gospel, believe it, and commit himself to it. And really, that's why we evangelize. You know, if you, if you are saved tonight, if you are a Christian tonight, you were evangelized I mean, somehow the gospel came to you by somebody who cared and somebody who understood what's at stake for your eternal soul. Maybe, maybe it was your parents 
A lot of people in younger years are led to the Lord by their parents. Maybe it was a church that reached out to you in some soul-winning way or gospel message. A friend, a piece of literature, audio-visual method of some kind where you heard the gospel or read about it. We have a lady in our church, her name is Cindy, and she's Filipino. And uh, she is involved in medical missions. Well, the reason is she and her family were saved in the Philippines by American missionaries coming there after the war and evangelizing the Philippine Islands. And she and her family were born again. She came, she ended up coming to the United States and joined the U.S. Army and served an entire career in the Army in the medical uh, field and is, is, was her name is Sergeant Alute. <laughs> we have other military guys in our church that salute her as they go by, you know. And now she's turned around as a retired uh, medical sergeant in the Army and does medical missions with a group of people, sometimes back to the Philippines and sometimes in other places of the world. Isn't that the way missions works somebody somebody evangelized you somebody brought the gospel to you and somehow the rest of our lives we try to then have some kind of a ministry to other people and that's really kind of what we're talking about tonight so in our passage and in Matthew I want us to look at the wording here and that's why on your outline that you're looking at you're basically seeing four points there or or four divisions of this verse go ye therefore i see in those three words the time involved the going the people involved you and the reason that you go therefore so let's look at these words and consider them the time is going now understand i'm not criticizing the translation or anything else but i'm saying look into these words the the word actually is while you're going you are going it's not really the command of the sentence here but sometimes it comes out that way and yet we have other commands in the scriptures to go so we don't belittle this but right here it is saying going into all the world or as you are going or while you are going in other words Jesus knew that they would be doing that we have an Acts 1.8, which is kind of the great commission of the book of Acts. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me, what? From Jerusalem to the uttermost part of the earth. And by the way, you and I are the uttermost part of the earth. And, and uh, Montana's really the uttermost, almost. <laughs> We're a long way from Jerusalem, in other words. We're on, we are on the other side of the world. And the gospel has come all the way to us. So somebody was going. Somebody was on their way to go to all the world. And you will be witnesses to the ends of the earth until the end of the age. So it's not so much of a command as it is an assumption. Jesus knew these 12 disciples as well as other people after them would be going into all the world. And folks, we are doing that. In a very real way, every time you get up in the morning, you are going into all the world. You are going from where you are to where other people are. And those people need Christ, 
and somehow we need to find a way to evangelize them. So the time is the going, and the people involved are you. Go ye into all the world while you are going. It's true that those 12 disciples really did go into all the known world of that time. Uh, and, and the Apostle Paul coming along late, you know, one born out of due time, was the one that took the gospel farthest into what we today would call Europe as he crossed over into Greece and then as far uh, uh, the gospel went as far as Rome in his day. You know, there's always been a, a view that... Uh, Maybe they accomplished it. Maybe the 12 disciples did what Jesus told them to do. They went into all the known world, and so it was done. You remember this morning in the, in the video that we watched about William Carey being the first missionary who, who left and, and went to India? Well, those people in those days were not only, not only believed, if God wants to save the heathen, they'll, he'll save them without your help or mine, but they believed that the gospel had been completed in the first century, and so it wasn't up to them to go anymore. I mean, sometimes we get pretty lazy, don't we? And we find excuses all over the place that we're, we don't have to be the ones to go. Well, Carrie and Andrew Fuller that you saw in that video uh, tried to answer those arguments, and, and William Carey's answer to that argument, to those who were saying it was, do you uh, teach in your church? The answer had to be yes, we teach in our church. They were Baptists, and he said, do you baptize in your church? Well, yes, we baptize. And he said, why do you do those things? And of course, what he was after is because you come back to the Bible that says baptize and teach. And then he would say, how can you fulfill the last two of those things without doing the first of those things? And that is going to all the world. So uh, they started that Baptist Missionary Society, and Carrie went. And ever since then, uh, we've had a greater burden and responsibility to go. And therefore, the reason we go, we backed up and, and began at verse 16. And when we got to verse 18, Jesus was saying, all power, that is authority, very literally, is given unto me in heaven and earth. And isn't that the truth? Our Savior is the creator of the world. Our Savior, uh, it was his responsibility to die for the sins of men. He will be the judge of all people at the end of the world also. All authority is given to him. You and I go out under that authority. Our, our American government couldn't give us more authority than that. A United Nations, if, if we had such a, a group of people united, they couldn't go uh, give us more authority than that. You have the authority from the, the, the Lord himself to be doing evangelism, to be speaking the gospel. I, I know that people don't like to hear it. I know that, and, and we looked at that when we looked at salvation, they love darkness rather than light, and they don't like the light when it comes to them. But we have that authority from the Lord Jesus to go. All the way back to, to Genesis 1, we have what, what we call a dominion mandate. When God said to Adam and Eve, 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. That was his dominion mandate because he had a big garden to take care of. Well, as we come through the ages, we can call them dispensations, and I think properly so, then God gives each believer in every age a specific dominion to do. And his mandate to believers in the age of grace in which we live is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So our dominion mandate is just that. We can't, we can't cultivate the whole world anymore, but we've done a pretty good job wherever human beings have gone. But we can uh, go into all the world and take the gospel to every creature. That's our dominion mandate. We're called ambassadors. We go representing the Lord Jesus Christ who, give it, who has given us authority to go. So I call all of this the church scattered. We'll look in a minute at the, at the church gathered and what we do when we gather together. But first and foremost here is the church is to scatter. The church is to be going into all the world. And what we're doing here on a Sunday and a Sunday night is exactly what the Lord commanded us to do also. We are to meet together and gather together and do these other things. But we'll go out these doors in a few minutes. And when we go out these doors, uh, we are to do that. You know, concentric circles are circles that have the same center. So Jerusalem was the center and then go to Judea, and then Samaria, then to the other most parts of the earth. And even though we're on that outer ring now, we're, we are the uttermost part of the earth in that way, but we all have the same center. In other words, this is your Jerusalem. And now going out from the center here, then you have other people beyond you, sta- uh, states, countries, and the rest of the world. And so you're supposed to be doing what that church was doing in the first century, all right? So, go ye therefore, while you're going, you, and go in my authority and my name. Secondly, we have here in our versions, teach all nations. Now, that word teach is not the same as the one that you have later on in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things I commanded you. So there are two different words here, actually, and I, I, want, I want you to see. There is a command here, and then there's a process to carry out, and there's a field that we go to. But I want you to notice something about this command. It is not to make disciples. Now, let me back up and say the word teach all nations in verse 19 is the word disciple. So we have that word disciple throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus had disciples, and other people became disciples. A disciple was a believer, not just a learner, though sometimes we trans or, or, or we put a meaning on that word methetes, disciple, as a learner. Primarily, a disciple is a believer in Jesus Christ, and those that followed him have believed on him. Acts 11, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch and then in other places. 
So when you look, a lot of a lot of people like to back up and say, well, it means since the word disciple, it means make disciples. That's not what it says. Because if you say make disciples, then the word make becomes the verb and disciples becomes the direct object. But that's not what is said here. We are to, to disciple all nations. Disciple is the verb, and it is in the verb form in that language. As a matter of fact, it's an imperative. It's a command in the original language to disciple. And who are we to disciple? We're to disciple the nations. So I've never, uh, I've never agreed exactly with the idea of make. Well, you could make mud pies if you want. You can, you can make trouble if you want. You can make lots of things in this world. But can you disciple? And so we need to look at it as the evangelism itself is called discipling the nations. And that simply means making Christians out of them, if you want to use the word make. It, it doesn't mean just to teach. It doesn't mean to make learners. It means to make converts, to convert the nations. To disciple them means to see them born again and see them become believers. So again, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, if that's so, if what discipling means is converting people to Christ, of course, Jesus converts them, the Holy Spirit uh, does, and we, we understand that, then what is, the, what is our direct object here? What is the object of disciple? Disciple nations. What nations? All nations. And so the process, secondly, is to disciple all, that is, all of those nations. And again, they don't want to hear it, but it's gone into all the world. Believers have died. Missionaries have died. Uh, trying to take the gospel to all the nations. And it's still happening today. And in many places, uh, we support, you know, as a matter of fact, BIM and Sam Slobodian's uh, missions has missionaries. And I can read you their text because Tim Smith, if you know Tim, uh, uh, he sends texts to me almost every day about people who, are, who give their lives in Uzbekistan and, and to, to refugees coming from Afghanistan who lose their lives if they believe in Jesus Christ. Women are tortured if they, if they become believers. And so there are still people giving their lives, paying a great price to take the gospel. Our, our Ukrainian uh, pastors are going to the front lines with the gospels to bring the gospel to those soldiers who are dying on the, on the front line. All of this is still going on in our day. Now, since we're to go to all nations, you re, do you remember the parable in Matthew 13? I'm sure you do about the, the broadcasting the seed, the parable of the seed or the soils. And you remember how they did it and what they were doing, uh, broadcasting the seed, throwing it out by hand. And uh, they throw it out, and the, uh, and the parable says, you know, that it falls on different kinds of soil, doesn't it? And some, uh, only some, produce anything, but the rest do not. So uh, you have uh, in that parable, 
You have the wayside where the seed falls on hard ground and nothing happens. You have the stony places where the, there's so many stones and the rest. It springs up, but it can't, it can't abide, can't stay there. There are the thorns then that choke out. And finally, in the fourth place, there's good soil that brings forth good fruit. And I think to draw a conclusion that, by the way, folks, most of our evangelizing will not produce fruit. And and if a fourth of our evangelizing produces fruit, we're happy with that. That's basically what the Lord said would happen. And so the gospel has gone into all the world, but has all the world gotten saved? No. Has half the world gotten saved? No. It doesn't happen that way. It takes the sacrifice of people and the disappointment of preaching the gospel in order to get a few people saved. Everywhere... Paul went and the, and the others in the, in the book of Acts, you find at the end of those messages, and some believed and some turned away. Always. Uh, you've got to understand that when you preach the gospel, many are going to say no to it. And so that's going to happen here. So sow the seed in all places. The field is the world, Matthew 13 says, and we're supposed to sow to all the nations. Now, the nations is the field then. There's another parable in Matthew 14. And I want to remind you of this. In Matthew 14, this is where uh, the Lord of the the harvest then says, uh, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Remember? Well, that parable of that story in Luke 14 is that a... uh, an invitation was sent out by a man to bring everybody to his supper. And if, if you don't know, the marriage supper of the Lamb is the kingdom of God. The marriage supper of the Lamb will last for a thousand years on this earth. In a very real way, what we're doing with our evangelism is inviting people to come to the supper, which is the millennial kingdom. In other words, if you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, even if you die, you will be resurrected at the rapture and you will come back to the earth with the Lord Jesus Christ and you will live and reign with Christ for a thousand years on this earth in in the earth remade like the Garden of Eden. And you'll live in that millennium, in that millennial kingdom for a thousand years. Those who are not saved do not enjoy that they're resurrected at the end of it to the white throne judgment of God and the only thing they have to look forward to is a lake of fire. So in a very real way, we're invited to a supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, he sent out people to say, uh, my supper's ready, come. And in that chapter, people began to make excuses. I can't come because I have a yoke of oxen, I have to go train. I can't come because I bought a piece of land and I need to go see it. And the third guy says, I can't come because I got married. And he said, that's enough. I don't need an explanation about that. So then they come back and in Luke 14, so the servant came and showed his Lord these things. And, and so the master said, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, which they had done. And then you have that statement, yet there is room. They come back again and say, not very many people have come. And then the master again says, the Lord said to the servant, then go out into the highways and hedges, not only the streets and the lanes, 
get on the interstate and go further. <laughs> go, go to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. And folks, to this day, yet there is room. There's room in the kingdom of God. There's room at that supper for anyone else to come. We are to go out and compel them to come in. Paul preaching before Agrippa, uh, preaching about the gospel. And Agrippa says, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And he was trying to compel him to come in to the dinner. And we can do that. We can do it in the proper way. We don't do it with, with undue means and trick people into saying prayers or anything like that. But we do compel people. We do try to put the burden on them for their sins and for salvation. So the nations are out there and the nations need to be evangelized. The 12 are going out and later 70. You remember... Jesus sent out, had 12 disciples, and he sent out 12, and why 12? Why did he send out 12? Well, you'd be right to think, because there were 12 tribes in the nation of Israel. And those 12 were only to go to Israel. They're not to go to the Samaritans, not to go to the Gentiles, uh, beyond that, only to the Jews. So he sent out 12. But later, toward the end of his ministry, he sent out 70. Why did he send out 70? Because they believed in that day there were 70 Gentile nations. As a matter of fact, the translation of the Old Testament into Greek was done in Alexandria by Gentiles. And so it's called the Septuagint, which means the 70. Because it was designed in a, in a foreign language, the Greek language, for all the nations of the world. And so even by the end of, of the Lord's own life... He was sending the 70 out to the Samaritans also. So we're to go that way. Now, how do we win them? You know, we can try to fish with a net like they did and throw a net out of the water and try to get a whole bunch at once. And there have been men that are capable of doing that. Great evangelists and others can preach to great crowds and they see many come. But, but you and I have better luck with a fishing pole. We, we have better luck with a rod and reel. And when we go fishing, the best luck we have is one at a time, isn't it? We throw, we throw out a line with a lure on it or bait on it, and we catch one fish. And we bring that fish in, and then we throw out it again, and we catch another fish. The, the most successful way for most of us is to fish one at a time and to catch one person at a time. Go and find that person. Zero in on that person and say, that person needs the gospel. I will befriend them. I'll work on them. I'll give them good words. I'll do what I can to lead them to Christ. Jesus, Jesus did that, did he not? Uh, with the woman at the well and, and uh, with uh, Nicodemus and other individuals like that. Even the thief on the cross, he was still, he was still winning one at a time. Paul does that. Uh, with individuals throughout his ministry, and even Peter did that also. So, go into all the world, go ye therefore, disciple all nations, and now two more thoughts in our great commission is to baptize them, and then secondly, to teach them. Nothing new to you, I don't think, but we need to remember these things. To baptize our converts is also a command of Christ. That word to baptize is also an imperative. We're supposed to do that. One of the reasons why we're Baptist churches, and we've had that name for so long, 
is because, and, and actually, if you'll allow me, I consider myself a Baptist, is that it's a unique denominational name. Almost every other denominational name emphasizes their polity, and that is how they do it. Either in the Catholic Church, that is the universal church, they call it. Uh, the Methodists emphasize the method uh, that they carry out. Uh, even Presbyterian refers to elders and the elder rule that they have. But you know what the word baptize means? It means we baptize our converts. We follow the Great Commission and baptize those that we win to Christ. And so we would win those people that the other people left unsaved and win them to Christ, and then we baptize them. So our name reflects the Great Commission. Our name reflects our doctrine, and that is we believe that people have to be old enough to be saved. And, and that's what we see here. Now, you know that the word baptize means what? It means to put them under water, right? And we do that as Baptists too, and they did that in the New Testament. A great example of that is Acts chapter 8 with that Ethiopian that Philip met on that chariot that day and ran to him. And how, how many was he winning at a time? He was winning this one man at a time. And he went way down there to Gaza to do it. And God says, run to that chariot. And he went down there and and. The Lord led him at the right time because he's reading Isaiah 53. <laughs> he's, he's reading Isaiah 53 and he says, can you help me understand this? Wouldn't you love to have somebody do that? Sit down on a plane next to you and said, you know, I'm reading Isaiah 53. Do you understand what this is saying? That'd be, that'd be great. Well, it happened to, to Philip. And of course, the man receives the Lord. And then uh, he says, well, then what hinders me to be baptized? Isn't that amazing that in that meeting, he not only heard how to be saved, but something about baptism from Philip. And they come to some water, and verse 38 says, He commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water. They went down into the water. Now, if he just needed to sprinkle him, they don't need to go into the water. They don't need to find a place with water. But they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he immersed him. He baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, wow, they go down into the water, they come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. We find that method of baptism everywhere in the Bible. Even they had baptisms in the Old Testament. It was not Christian baptism, but they did their cleansings and so forth. I was down uh, at the Dead Sea in, in the uh, Essene community uh, where they ha had washings of those Old Testament people. And they had a big, what we would call a baptistry. It was a big stone pool with steps that went down and other steps that came up. You can still see the excavations of these today. So they would go down into that water to cleanse themselves, uh, and then they would come back up out of the water on the other steps. So even when John the Baptist was preaching baptism, they all knew what that meant. They went down to the Jordan, and they went to other rivers, and he, he immersed them in water. Why is that, folks? Because only immersion can picture death, burial, and resurrection. 
And that's what the gospel means. So your baptism is, I have believed and accepted the truth about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When I baptize someone, I'm, I'm putting them in a grave. I'm putting them in a watery grave. And if I don't pick them up out of that, it would be their grave. So in a very real picture, we picture death and burial, and then we picture resurrection, right? It's a wonderful thing. In John chapter 6, we have that very picture, and I'll say it again in a little bit. Know you not that as many as you were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. And again, 1 Corinthians 15. So, we're to baptize them. It is a command. We're to do that. And so, you're building a building up here. And guess what it's going to have behind the, uh, behind the platform? A baptistry. And praise the Lord for that. Uh, you don't have one here in the temporary building that we're in in Kansas City. We don't have one. We have to borrow somebody's baptistry and go down to their church to baptize our converts. And it's a great thing to have that water and baptize them. Our missionaries do it in all kinds of ways, don't they? Swimming pools and, and rivers and lakes. I was in Russia with my father-in-law one time where in the winter time, with snow on the ground and ice on the water, they took a chainsaw and cut a diagonal out of the ice, way out into the water, and people in their white robes walked out in that icy cold water to be baptized. And why is that? Because the command here is to baptize and to follow the Lord in baptism. Now, what's the motive? Baptize them. Baptize them. Again, who is them? Disciples. Those that you have discipled. Those that you have uh, made Christian. And so they baptize them. Do you know that the the Roman Catholic Church sprinkles babies, as you know, and so do all the Protestant denominations too, but because they never changed that from when they were Catholics. But the, the, the Roman Church thinks that this means baptize the nations. Go into all the nations, you know, preach the gospel to all the nations, and baptize, they think it means the nations. So what they have done throughout history is to go conquer a a people and baptize every baby that's born so that eventually the whole nation is baptized, but baptized as babies, and baptized to make them part of the Roman Catholic Church. But is that what the command here is saying? No, it's to baptize them. That is, those disciples, those who have received Christ as Savior, those are the ones that have to be baptized. Not babies and not unbelievers. There's one view that some believe that, you know, there were household baptisms in the New Testament. The Philippian jailer gets saved and his whole house, and they're all baptized. Well, surely there were babies there. Surely there were kids there that got baptized. Lydia got saved, and her whole house was saved and baptized. Well, surely there were babies there. Well, what does that say? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say there were children there. 
Anyone who's baptized in the New Testament was old enough to understand what they did when they accepted Christ as Savior. We may baptize a five-year-old, if that's the way your church does it, or a seven-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 90-year-old. But whoever gets baptized understood that they needed to accept Christ as Savior. We baptize them. We baptize the disciples. And that is our Baptist history. We've never baptized infants. As a matter of fact, we were called rebaptizers. Why? Because the Roman church thought they baptized them as babies. And the, those early Baptists who come along, lead them to Christ and say to them, you need to be baptized. And the Roman church said, you can't, we already baptized them. You can't rebaptize them. Oh, yes, we can. <laughs> because we don't believe they were ever baptized in the first place. And by the way, you can only get baptized once because you can only get saved once. So uh, that ordinance, you practice once in your life because you got saved one time. All right. So the method, let me say quickly, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We call this Trinitarian baptism in the name of the Trinity, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, that means that we're doing it in the authority of God, under the authority of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a couple verses in the book of Acts that say that when they went out and baptized, that they baptized only in the name of Jesus. You understand that, right? So in Acts 2.38, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. 8.16 says, As yet he had fallen on none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And there became a movement in the 20th century called... Uh, uh, the one Jesus only or the oneness movement. It was a Pentecostal movement and they believed that rather than baptizing in the name of the Father and the, and the Holy Spirit, you only baptize in the name of Jesus only. And that oneness uh, movement, oneness Pentecostalism, eventually led into a heresy about the Trinity where they believed Jesus was the only truly divine member of the Trinity. And then it kind of, the whole movement kind of went away. Now, why do, why do we have those statements in the New Testament? Because though the authority is from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the profession of faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The profession and the meaning of baptism is what Jesus did. So in a very real way, we are baptized according to what happened to Jesus, and that is his death, burial, and resurrection. So it's not that we can only say, I baptize you in the name of Jesus only. I always say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's the way I think that we should do it. Okay. And by the way, not trying. If you ever hear the word trying, some people baptize three times and sometimes three times forward. Once in the name of the Father, once in the name of the Son, once in the name of the Holy Spirit. The problem with that kind of baptism is that then you're baptizing them to picture the Trinity rather than baptizing them to picture the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that's why we don't do it that way. So I'm going to say one more thing then, and that is, uh, lastly, we, the final command for us is to teach them, instruct them. 
in, uh, in Acts 2.42. Then they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now this word teach, rather than disciple, is the word didasco, which means teach. It is, it is the common word for teaching, instructing throughout the New Testament. So we are to now teach our converts. We're to, we're to do things that teach them uh, about the word of God. All things whatsoever I have commanded you. And so much of missionary work, folks, and much of local church work is teaching. As a matter of fact, it becomes almost the primary job that we do. We need to learn. For the rest of our lives, we need to be learning. And so from preaching messages to teaching classes and the rest, our missionaries go out and they win people to Christ and they baptize them and then they go home, right? No. <laughs> they stay there the rest of their lives teaching, translating from languages, starting schools, starting colleges, doing all of those things that are necessary to teach and they keep doing that the rest of their lives. You got saved? You got baptized? That was enough, right? No. You're, you're here tonight because you want to keep learning the rest of your life. You may read, you may study, you read your Bible, you do all of those things in order that the study goes on. There's a little anomaly go, going on today, and I'm not against the wording of it, but it is a misnomer, and that is a lot of our evangelism we call Bible study. That's okay because we invite somebody to a Bible study, but what we're really doing is evangelizing. <laughs> what we're really doing is uh, bringing them under the sound of the Word of God so that eventually we can lead them to Christ. And then the other thing is that we call discipleship teaching, but discipleship is, is evangelizing according to our passage here. So first you have teach and then you have them that is the disciples so now we are teaching those people who had become disciples i'm saying in my own way what we call bible study is really discipleship biblically and what we are calling discipleship today is really bible study biblically I'm not against borrowing the terms because I know what we're trying to do with them. I know what we mean by it. But isn't it kind of interesting? We're to go and disciple the nations, making Christians out of them. And then we are to study the Bible with them. And that is because what, is the, what does the Bible say about lost people? Can they even understand the word of God? No, it's foolishness unto them because it has to be spiritually discerned. And so a person really does have to be born again and have the Holy Spirit to even study the Word of God. So, I'm for Bible studies that win people to Christ. So don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, to call it that, fine. It's a good term. But really, we're trying to evangelize. That's what we're doing in that. And for our teaching, the, the, the Lord has designed the local church. And that's why we gather together. And you know what? We do a lot of other things in the local church besides preaching the gospel, baptizing, and teaching. A lot of our instruction is singing. We sing, and, and we're commanded to sing. Ephesians 5 and other places, we're supposed to sing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we do it, and we learned a lot in our songs tonight. We're supposed to fellowship with one another. 
and you come and you're as bad as my church. You talk forever and can't leave. Uh, you know, I, you, sometimes you, you got to turn out the lights and lock the door and say, or, you know, turn out the lights when you guys leave and I'm going home. You know, they, people stand around and talk forever. And, and that's a great thing. I love it to come into my church and we're trying to get the service started and there's just buzzing going on all over the auditorium. Now, it's, we had a quiet time before the service, and I think that's a good thing. We need to cut. Okay, time to sit down and get our minds. But, you know, in the English churches today over in England, when I've been over there, they have a custom when you come in that back door, you, you quit talking. And you go directly to your seat, and it is quiet in there, maybe for 30 minutes or whatever time that you're sitting down until they start the first song. Well, for us, sometimes we get so reckless about it that it's kind of neat. Okay, we're sitting down and we're only concentrating. And then all of a sudden I'm missing the fellowship and the chatter that goes on in our churches. Because fellowship is what we need to do. And so people are talking, people are walking around, greeting one another. And sometimes the pastor has to say, folks, we need to get started here. Let's get started. And later you need to say, folks, we need to go home here. Let's, you know, let's go home. All of that means it's a healthy church. It means that, that we love fellowshipping and we're doing that. And we pray together. And, and primarily we learn together. So teach them all things. All things that I have commanded you, the whole word of God. I've not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God, Paul says. All scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for what? Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. We need the word of God for all of those things. So there is the church scattered as we go into all the world, but there is the church gathered to finish the rest of the Great Commission. And even our converts, folks, we win them, we need to baptize them. And after we baptize them, we're not done with them. We need to bring them into the fellowship of our church, fellowship with them, make them part of our conversation, learn their names and learn about them, and, and let them see that this is where they get friendships. This is where they get fellowship together. And we can do that, and you should. So, evangelize. Give the good news. Give it to the whole world. And let me say to all of us, we can do this. You can do this. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a missionary. I'm not that kind of a person. Well, you don't need to be. And this, this Great Commission is really not designed just for that. It's designed for you and me. So, here's some ways to begin. Do you live for the Lord in your life? I'm assuming that you do. And you know what? That's a light bulb to the community around you. You think people don't notice that your life is different? They don't notice that your language and everything about you is different from the world? That's a testimony. That's a place that you begin. You begin that way. You can hand out a tr gospel track. We, we have tracks that say thank you on it, and they're just for restaurants. You know, when you eat, you leave it on the table when you're gone. Leave it with a tip, by the way. That goes a lot farther. But, but uh, the, you, you know, there's that way to do it. Maybe you're in contact with somebody online, corresponding with somebody. You can do it that way. There's a word fitly spoken, Proverbs says, a word fitly spoken. 
just some thank yous, just some God bless yous, just some praise the Lord for what you did. And words fitly spoken go a long way for somebody to notice what you're saying. I was coming out here on uh, on the airplane from Kansas City to, to uh, Seattle, and it's a three to four hour flight, three and a half hour flight. And, you know, I always think, well, Lord, I'll sit by somebody on the airplane. So, you know, if I can make it possible to say a few words. A miracle happened. Because I sat down in a full airplane and I was the only one in three seats. That, that has never happened to me. I had all three seats. Now, there were some other uh, empty seats in the plane, but it's never happened to me that way. And I'm thinking, well, I guess I won't be talking to anybody today. I moved over to the middle seat and I'm sitting there because I have room on both sides of me. And um, this guy's coming up the aisle and as he's coming up the aisle, the, the, the food cart is coming back down the aisle. And so he needs to get out of the way. So he sees the empty seat in my aisle and he slips over and sits down so the cart can go by. Well, he looks over to the other seat on the other side of me and I was reading a book that has a Christian title on it. And turns out he was a Christian man and he looks at it. And so he says, oh, you know, reading that book and we got to talking. Do you know these kind of people whose voice will carry a mile, you know. He's one of these guys. <laughs> and so he's sitting next to me and he's asking questions about the Lord and about our belief and everything. And I notice people three, three rows up turning around and looking because they can hear this guy talking. And my voice is big enough to carry, but I mean, it's not like that. But I'm answering and he's asking these questions and people are looking at us and everything. And, and it dawns on me, well, thank you, Lord. I didn't know I'd have a pulpit and a whole, con- a whole congregation on the, on the airplane. But it turned out that way. So you never know what opportunities the Lord is going to give. Just take the ones that are given to you. And, and be faithful to try to say something. Do what you can. Let me end with these little illustrations. Not long ago, well, long ago, we had gone to a Broncos football game when we lived in, in Colorado. I, I have to say that very carefully in Kansas City, but we there we went to a Broncos game. And after the game, you know, people are streaming out of the stadium. And as we're going out up on a, a concrete wall, uh, up above just a head high there's a man standing up on that wall preaching he's got a bible in his hand and he's preaching and I thought wow look at that and I just kind of looked around at the people around me and what you know people were laughing people were saying look at him and you know he's taking a lot of guff for doing what he's doing I said to myself well I'm not doing it He's got, you know, he's up there. I'm not. And I thought, boy, good for him. People may laugh. People, a lot of people may not like it. But what if one person, what if one person heard him, went home under conviction, and somehow that's the beginning of that person's salvation? It'd be well worth it, wouldn't it? I'm going to tell you two stories. I talked to you about uh, A.W. Tozer uh, earlier. Here's part of his biography. A.W. Tozer was raised in a tiny farming community in western Pennsylvania. He was converted to Christianity as a teenager in Akron, Ohio, 
I'm a buckeye, by the way. I like that. You know what a buckeye is? It's a hairless nut with little or no commercial value. So if you're from Ohio, that's what you are. All right. While on his way home from work at a tire company, he overheard a street preacher. And the street preacher said, if you don't know how to be saved, just call on God saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And it says, upon returning home, he, A.W. Tozer, climbed into his attic and heeded the preacher's advice and accepted Christ as his Savior. And went on to pastor for 44 years, write numerous books, and uh, be a great evangelist. There's a similar story about Billy Sunday, by the way, who was born in Iowa, and he grew up and became a professional baseball player. I don't know if you know that. Billy Sunday was a professional baseball player. And his baseball team was in Chicago, and he, he and other players were sitting on a curb drinking and watching a parade go by, sitting on a curb in Chicago, And some people from the Pacific Garden Mission were walking up the sidewalk, handing out tracts and inviting them to a service at the mission. And Billy Sunday, being kind of a contrary guy, said, I'm going to go. I'm going to listen to what these people say. He went to the Pacific Garden Mission and received Christ as the Savior and became Billy Sunday, the evangelist. You never know what a tract can do. You never know what a word can do. You never know what a prayer can do to say, Lord, help me be part of this great commission. And God can take it from there. You, you may just plant the seed and somebody else waters. Somebody else may uh, see the harvest or you may be the other way around. But just do what you can. All right. All right. Uh, do this with me. You've been sitting. Stand up and let's pray together. And then the uh, pastor will come and, and close the service. Let's pray together. Now, Father, we have read your instruction to us. We've read it many times. We have tried in our lives to be a part of this and to do it. We succeed and we fail. But, Father, our heart is that we could succeed in this great endeavor that we have to evangelize the world. Our dominion mandate, our commission to go, And so, Father, even wherever we are, with every person in this room, though they may not think they have much of an influence, there's people all around us and opportunities every day. So, Father, help us to see those, bring them to our attention, and help us to do what we can in every opportunity that we have to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make us bold. Make us... uh, Uh, callous to the world's criticisms and help us father to be evangelists for you bless in this thing of evangelism we pray may souls be saved from an eternal hell and help us to help in that endeavor we'll thank you for these things in jesus name amen